brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Welcome to the Weekly Warrior Podcast, where we are forging genuine human connection through fitness, health, mindset, and nutrition. Let's get to the show with your hosts, Jared Bradford, Connor Edelbrock, and Corey Mueller. Today's going to be a, a little short conversation between Corey and I. Welcome to the podcast again. This is Jared and Corey. Uh, Corey recently had an adventure. He's had many adventures like this, but this was a <laughs> triumphant adventure. Yeah. And and we're going to talk about it. So you started hunting. How how many years ago would you say? I seriously started, hunting. Yeah, seriously hunting. I started when I was twenty three, and even that I don't know if I'd consider that serious. Uh, between the ages of twenty three and uh, like twenty seven, I probably hunted four times, five times. Yeah. That's cool. I mean, early, I think once you kind of got your own place and graduated, you started collecting some guns and stuff and, and shooting. And then it, one thing led to another. I think it's it was really intimidating for me because at first it's like I have to go somewhere where somebody can like hold my hand and yeah. walk me through it. Because if, if they don't, I'm going to be lost. And I, I got really intimidated by the overabundance of choices because like if you mess up while you're hunting, you fail. <laughs> <laughs> and so I just was sort of paralyzed by that fear and just didn't go or I made reasons in my head not to go. I couldn't get off work. I mean, whatever. If it wasn't super convenient, then basically like it. Colorado, I missed so many golden opportunities out there because you can elk hunt. You can get tags over the counter for elk. I went one time. I wish I would have gone more because uh, it's. A, it's way more of a physical challenge out there because you're hiking around in, in mountains and it's just beautiful. It's so damn beautiful out there. I went once. I only went once. So it's got to be tough too, especially in Michigan. I don't know what it's like in Colorado, but people are pretty protective of their property. And if people that are, yeah. are hunters and on their property, they work hard to maintain their property to attract bigger deer so they can take that yeah. trophy. So people are pretty reluctant to letting someone come in and take a spot in their tree stand. Yeah, so when I started working at the DNR uh, in 2020, I befriended my coworker. He's a lead ranger at the park named Gary Brown, and he's hunted his whole life. And that's the way most people are. It's It seems like in northern Michigan, they grow up with hunting. Somebody in their family did it. They're really passionate about it. And so Gary, I started asking a lot of questions and questions and questions. And I finally decided like, okay, I just got to get out and do this. So I found some state land that I was familiar with because I was out in the state forest all summer working. And I had seen deer out there and like from scouting and knowing people who have been out there. So come fall time, grab my gun and put my boots on. And I literally had a backpack. <laughs> This is so, this is so dumb. I had a backpack, but I didn't have a chair. So what I did was I attached a stool to my backpack. It was like a little wooden stool. that was like this tall. 
And so I strapped it on and I'd go and find a good spot and I'd just take my backpack off and I'd sit down on the stool. Okay. So it's like, you know, 10 degrees outside and I'm sitting under a tree, wind howling. It was really miserable at, at points. And I'd sit there and I'd sit there. Experienced hunters looking over you like, look at this asshole. Yeah. And Stateland is like, especially in Michigan, there's a lot of hunters. Stateland is a crapshoot because you can either, basically the harder you work to get in somewhere on Stateland, the the more you're going to find, the less hunters that are going to be out there. What I didn't know was where I was at, there's trails everywhere. So it's easy to get around because when I thought like, oh, I just hiked in like half a mile or a mile. And then I look at I uh, look at uh, like Apple Maps or whatever. There's a trail like 200 yards behind me, and I hear a truck rolling through. I'm like, "Son of a bitch!" And I'm sitting there, and I'm like, "Why am I even out here?" <laughs> yeah, like it's over at that point, right? Because these dudes are just driving around in their trucks, like waiting for your deer, drinking a bush light. You know what I mean? And shoot it out of the window, right? And super illegal. It's you can hunt in a truck. But you have to get out of your truck. And to yeah, so it it's just unsportsmanlike, really, is what it is. So that whole experience, I went out almost as as much as I could, probably like six days out of rifle season, and just went out and just did it. Had no idea what I was doing. Spooked deer. I saw multiple deer. Didn't I? Didn't have I? Didn't ever have a good shot on them, so I didn't end up taking a shot. It was a failed hunting season, but I learned a lot. So I went down to Tennessee, and then hunted there at my parents' place. Um, my dad had to sit with me because I was not a Tennessee resident, but um, there was a lot of deer down there, and I actually took a shot on one, missed wildly, and I tracked it for like 300 yards down into a ravine. I mean, it was like a straight up, you're going, I was probably on, I don't know, an angle like this with small shrub trees that I'm grabbing onto just to make sure I didn't wound it. Um but my scope was way off. So again, I learned always make sure that your optics are correct because if they're not, you're going to be sad and disappointed. <laughs> I had a perfect shot. It was like 30 yards away, super easy. And I shot it right into the dirt, probably eight inches in front of the deer. So that was another lesson that I did not forget. Um, a happy deer. A happy deer. There was a whole herd of them too. Yeah. So fast forward to this year and I made some really good connections in my area and I had a farmer say, like, I had, I was buying meat from him, and we're actually going to get to talk to Kyle Apsey, who's uh, the social media head laborer or whatever. He does everything at Apsey Farms. And I've been buying meat from there, and we got talking about deer hunting. And he said, you want to come hunt on the property? And I kind of was like, a little bit taken aback because this is a huge family property that's been in the family for over a hundred years. It's been an operating farm for over a hundred years. And this, this just doesn't happen. These opportunities don't come up very often anymore because like you said, people are super protective of their property. And to have this opportunity was such a blessing. And I'm like, yeah, absolutely. Like what do you, you know? Sure. Yes. And they have blind, they have a blind already built, all this stuff. And nobody else hunts this property. It's like, you know, hundreds of acres mm-hmm. of wow. pristine grass, fields, you know what I mean? Just, and woods too. And it's just a perfect ecosystem for deer to be sheltered. And 
they said nobody's really hunted there for a few years because they bought separate property, so they didn't have to move the cows around and all that fun stuff. Mm-hmm. And so I go out this fall there, and first week goes by. Every day I go out, I see deer, but I saw I was just seeing does, and they were kind of small, and I wanted to try to get a buck, so I kept waiting and waiting and waiting. Second week of season rolls in. It's November 26th, right before Thanksgiving, and my parents are up at my house, and it's getting late, uh, and I'm sitting there, and I, like I said, I had seen deer almost every day, and out they come from where they bed down, and there's probably nine of them. I hadn't seen a buck yet, and here comes a buck, but he wasn't big enough. He His antlers, he was a four-point, and they were just little guys. No baby. So he was not legal to shoot, so he got a pass. But it was cool to see it. I hadn't seen one yet on that property, so that was cool. But there was a big-ass doe, and she was probably 45 yards away. My heart starts pounding. Just, just pounding. Because at this point, I had, I forgot to say this, I had taken shots at deer three times and missed every single time prior to this. This, this, like, in the previous days. So I went out, made sure my rifles were sighted in. One of them wasn't. The other one was. They were just bad shots. Um, I was getting kind of desperate. And so all of this frustration had built up. And I remember feeling like, what the, why am I even out here? Like, I'm making, this is not, I'm making a mistake. I don't belong here. And maybe this just isn't for me, which sucks because I had invested a lot of money and time <laughs> into, mm-hmm. yeah. into this. So every day I'm like going out like, fuck, this is so fucking hard. I'm so frustrated. And out they come, and she's 45 yards away, and I'm just, my heart starts pounding, and I'm, like, shaking, because I knew, I was like, okay, this is it. So I get my rifle up, and get her in a good sight, and I take a shot, and I knew I hit her, because all the other ones ran off one way, and she kind of staggered. She ran about 30 yards, looked back towards the woods, and dropped. I, like, panicked. I, like, freaked out. I called my my coworker Gary. I'm like, Gary, what do I do now? <laughs> like, what, what do I do? I called him while I was sitting in the blind. He said, is she dead? I said, hold on. So I got out and I looked, she was, it was easy cause they were in a field and I looked over the hill a little bit and I could see her tail still waggling a little bit. So I went back and I said, no, not yet. He said, okay, go back in, sit in the blind for like five, 10 minutes, calm down and then take a look again. So I hung up and I got out. I took my rifle with me. Because if she was still alive, I was going to do what needed to be done. And I go up, and thankfully she had expired at that point. But I walk up, and I'm like on the verge of tears already because I'm an animal lover. I love all types of animals, and I've never killed anything. Um, I've been in a position, I've never been in a position where I like had the ability to, to kill something. Mm-hmm. And here's this big deer and she was big i mean she was a very large doe laying here dead because i had shot her and so i like knelt down and i put my hand on her thanked her for this sacrifice and had a i mean had a nice moment i guess if you want to call it nice but like a good connective moment that i felt was honoring the sacrifice that she made and then i realized the hard part is just beginning (laughs) and so Over the next, like, 45 minutes, I struggled to, because when you you shoot them, they die. You have to go and take the guts out. 
and it's sort of a rite of passage to do that your first time. It was hard and intimidating, and I didn't know what I was doing, and I like was getting really frustrated. Kyle and his dad ended up coming out. They heard the shot. They got in their gator and came out, and his dad, Bob, walked me through the process. I said, I don't, I don't want you to do this for me. You can like sort of guide me a little bit, but I need to do this. And so I finally got it all done. All the guts came out, you know, pulled some of the organs out because you're supposed to eat the heart and eat the liver and all that type of stuff, which, which I did. And it was just a crazy experience. And I felt, I felt a lot of guilt. I felt excited. I was really excited on my way home. And then when I got home and kind of sat down and had some time to sort of reflect on it, I was like, man, that kind of, I don't feel so good about that anymore. Cause it just wasn't as clean as I wanted it to be. She didn't die immediately. It was, I don't know, in the gutting process, like I kind of made a mess of it. And so that, I don't know, just kind of sucked a little bit, but I had two tags. So I went out and I went again, I asked Kyle, I said, Hey, can I come out again? I have one more tag. And then I had one more day. It was, uh, the first day of late antlerless rifle season in Michigan. Um, and then we were heading to Florida. So I went out and it was a beautiful day. It was like 40 degrees, sunny, really, really nice. I'm sitting there and I saw one deer, little doe again. She was just out kind of grazing. And I said, no, small, just watched her. I just watched her. I let her go. And it was getting dark and getting dark and getting dark. And I thought, I thought, okay, well, I guess I'm getting skunked today. And cause a whole herd of them had run in front of me about 45 minutes prior to their bedding area. So I was like, mm. okay, well that's it. And all of a sudden here comes two doe walk out and they kind of just walk right past the blind. They're about 275 yards away. And then three bucks follow them. Now I can't shoot the bucks cause it's late antlerless season. You can no longer shoot bucks in late antlerless season with a rifle, but it was awesome to see them. And yeah. I was like, you guys need to go and bring your little girlfriends back into the field, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> which they did. So they ended up being about 200 yards away. This time I felt I was way more determined. I was way more confident. I put my rifle up and I adjusted my scope. So the reticle moved up in the crosshairs. So in the crosshairs, the reticle would move up like this because she was 200 yards away. I took a shot and I missed high, but they didn't run. They just kind of like, yeah, looked around like what just just happened. Yeah. And so I dropped my reticle back down, brought it back and she actually gave me a better shot. She came more broadside and I pulled the trigger again and she just dropped immediately and was like dead on impact um, on the ground straight through the heart. It was almost instantaneous and she was another, another beautiful deer. And I did the job. I gutted her in probably like two minutes. It, I mean, the whole process was exponentially better. Still had like, still thanked her and and did the and did that whole thing because I think that's really important. But I felt better about that the second time around because it was just cleaner. It was just better. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you what, nothing's been better than eating this venison. This is the best. I've eaten a lot of venison because I have a lot of friends that hunt and all that. This is the, by far the best venison I've ever had, probably because it's grass fed its yeah. whole life. Basically these deer it's wild th- th- and it's wild too. It's, it's really, really good. So yeah, that was my hunting experience from this year. It was a lot of highs 
and mm-hmm. a lot of lows too. But I feel I feel confident moving forward. <laughs> yeah, ultimately, I mean, it took a couple of years to get your first year. Yeah, based on like you know making mistakes and doing things like that, and I think that's part of the process of, of hunting and maybe doing dumb shit. And, yeah, you make yeah. a lot of mistakes. They uh, on mini meat eater. Yeah. So that guy, he did a. Actually, I don't know if it was him. Someone was on the Art of Manliness podcast, I believe, and they talked about hunting. Maybe mm. it was the Brute, Brute Strength podcast. And it was Brute Strength back in the days, okay. years ago. Yeah. And they talked about hunting and, and being outside in the wild and everything. And uh, just like the guilt that everybody, if you don't feel a certain level of guilt, that, you know, maybe this isn't for you. Right. And, and you know, they, people, he had a very interesting point. This is kind of away from hunting, but people that go into the wilderness for backpacking or hiking or camping out in the wild. Mm-hmm. Do you look more like someone from this planet or more like an astronaut when you pack up for those types of things? Oh, you know? Um, yeah. So he's like, I think he was a very, a big naturalist and hunting and, and getting outside in the wild or just like, yeah. whatever's, whatever is the most simple, do it. I was like, man, that's super interesting. Like we pack up and, and get all this expensive gear and stuff just to go out and we're or from this trailer pla- yeah. yeah yeah like we're from this planet like mm-hmm. what out there d- can we not like adapt to within reason yeah you know um and he was big on hunting and he talked about that with that everybody should get out and and hunt something at least once in their life just to get that experience and connect with something that this is part of the process of getting food on your table absolutely one, one way or the other yeah it's really easy for us to be disconnected from where our food comes from I think about it like these deer that I shot, some people could say, well, that's unethical. You killed an animal. And it's like, okay, let's look at this realistically. And let's look at the deer as the example. These deer also die in nature. Um, They never die of old age, but they get diseases and die. Mm -hmm. They're eaten alive by mostly coyotes or they're hit by cars and they rot on the side of the road. Whereas when I shoot these deer or, and, and, you know, hundreds of thousands of other hunters in Michigan and across the country, when we harvest an animal, the animal is, they really endure no suffering. That's the goal is the animal doesn't suffer. So when you think about it like that, is it ethical? Because if you ever see an animal get uh, eaten in the wild, it looks pretty miserable. Like brutal, literally. Yeah, I, I follow. I started following this Instagram page called Nature Is Metal. I was just gonna say, bro, that's I wild, dude. I can't follow it. I can't watch it. It's I there's too, been too hardcore. Yeah, there's been some stuff where I'm I'm like, uh, what? Uh, yeah, and it's hard to watch. But yeah, that's nature, mm-hmm. and that's what these people who look down on that type of activity or meat, eat, like eating meat in general or whatever, and it's like these animals die. Mm-hmm. And they get, they're literally being eaten alive, but that, but that's okay. Maybe the, the way, rationale, I mean, like the, the idea is that we're so superior, we can like totally manipulate it and take advantage. Maybe that's part of the argument, but at the same time, it's not, I mean, I think people are also very unfamiliar with hunting seasons and hunting tags. Maybe they feel like it's just a slaughter out there. Like we just go out. Yeah. And just like anytime we want, we're just going to go out and we're going to kill whatever sure. we want. Um, and they they don't realize that oh there's this whole season there's all these tags it's highly regulated that, yeah. yeah and then all that money goes into population information control and conversation yeah all these things there's it's a really yeah. well thought out system right 
Yeah, that's and that's a really good point. I I was actually we were out with our friend Logan, who does the Dude Scouts podcast, and uh, he's got Crohn's disease, and he was talking about like they're they're trying to go with more of a plant based diet because the meat that they're eating from supermarkets is has really been fucking with his bowels and so he was talking to me about hunting and eating venison he's like i want to get more into eating like wild game and stuff that's more natural you know pastured meats and all the all these things and so we had a good conversation about that and when you look at it these 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 wild animals like these deer that i harvested every time i i put a bite of that meat in my mouth i know exactly where it came from I know for the most part what it was eating and I know how it's been, you know, brought to my plate. (laughs) How many things can you say that for that when you go to the store and you put your, you know, prepackaged thing of chicken in your grocery cart? Oh, just going to slide out in here real quick. Hey, if you guys have your phones available right now, you're not driving or anything, right? You're in somewhere safe with you can get access your phone. Go onto your iTunes, scroll on down, leave us a five-star rating and a review. You can also do this on Spotify now, which is pretty cool. By leaving reviews, we are able to reach a bigger audience, which is a great goal for us at the Weekly Warrior Podcast. So if you could do that, it would greatly help us. It helps you. And uh, we're going to keep pumping out these episodes. And uh, so so that's it. That's the message. Nice, short, sweet, to the point, basic. Hope you enjoy the rest of the show. Let's get to it. I think it's so off of that point. I think it's hilarious. Not actually hilarious, but I don't know what I mean by hilarious. It's something. <laughs> it's something. There's something funny about it, I guess, or just ridiculous mm-hmm. that when we buy ground bison from Costco, you can't get it all the time, which I like. I, I enjoy that you cannot just go and buy ground bison whenever the fuck yeah. you want. Yeah. But we buy it from there and uh, it's grass fed and all those things. Every once in a while, we'll give Millie a piece. Of this bison. Oh. Millie is a 10-pound miniature dachshund. Yeah. I'm like, damn, dude. This big-ass ground bison. This big-ass bison, buffalo, and this yeah. little-ass dog. Like, how did this happen? <laughs> you know? Her, her ancestors liked bison, too, probably. Yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure they did. I'm sure yeah. they didn't waste anything. We started but, feeding Annie. Uh, we started grinding up the same meats like that we're eating or like the scraps. So we made a pot roast. Uh, last night and some of the more undesirable pieces that we didn't want to eat are perfectly edible um so it's like make we're we're starting to make our own dog food mm-hmm. for her out of these other these foods so we, when we have an excess of like organ meats and whatever from apsy farms we're cutting them up and feeding them to her or, you know ground chicken or yeah. what i mean whatever uh and then rice and vegetables and yeah there's a big there's a big movement there yeah, I noticed people start to do that a few years ago, and I kind of thought it was crazy. But the more you think about it, it's like, is that crazy that they're eating those things? Or is it crazy that they're eating whatever the fuck kibble is made out of? <laughs> like <laughs> dried grain and yeah, because yeah. most kibble is like most dog food and cat food is shitty. Like yeah. it's so um, we started doing that for Annie, which she loves it. 
There's yeah. companies that you can buy. There's one called the Farmer's Dog. We did the Farmer's Dog for like two months. It's expensive as fuck. Like you can just mm-hmm. make your own dog food for way cheaper um, with probably higher quality ingredients. Um, just and with a lot of stuff that we're already eating. Yeah. So a little bit of coconut oil and some some ground up meat and some veggies and some rice. There's right. her dinner. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. I, we did the same thing with Ryder and Millie. But like you said, it's to get that stuff shipped in. You can't just really go to Petco and, and find it. No. You have to get these smaller companies will ship it to you. But my God, even with like a promo code, it was like shit. We had to get it twice a month and it was like 120 bucks a month for their dog food. And I was like, man, I can't do that. So try to err on the best off recommendations, what we can do for them. But. Yeah. I have a friend too that started feeding her dogs her golden retrievers a couple of years ago. They've been doing it for years now. Raw food, like raw, raw meat diet, raw chicken, whole eggs with the shells, raw meats, beef, and just kind of lower cuts. Dude, these are the most muscular, beautiful looking dogs Dude, I've right? ever seen. Like yeah. they they're running. She has photos of them on Instagram and stuff, and like they'll be, you know, <laughs> posing or like yeah. looking there. Their their hind muscles and their front muscles and their chest are like bulging muscles i'm like dude that is they look fantastic yeah and that's what they feed them we uh we try to keep like annie's food because we we feed her neutro i've always fed her neutro ever since she was a puppy the little bit of research i did neutro at least is a better mainline food brand so we give her we always give her a little bit of that with this raw food in case we travel and it becomes really hard to do this like raw food for the dog so she can eat that for a short period. It's like us eating McDonald's every once in a while. Sure. Like it's not going to really affect us long-term, but the, you think about dogs, like our, our dogs get cancer and shit. Almost every dog probably by the end of their life has cancer. And you got to wonder why that is too. I mean, I don't know. I actually don't know any of the science behind this, but it's the same idea with, with humans. Like, why do we all get cancer? Why do, why do so many people get degenerative brain diseases? You know what I mean? With, you got to think, where does the majority of people, where does their food come from at this point? Right. So same thing with dogs. But yeah, going back to the hunting thing, I think something, <laughs> like you said, every, I think everyone should at least try it. Yeah. It might not be for everybody, but there's a lot of value to experiencing that because that's, Part of what makes us human. Yeah. I mean, that's how we like we talked in the episode that we recorded a couple days ago with bone marrow. I mean, humans, that's what that's what we that's what we do. Mm-hmm. We that's that's how our that's how we're brought up. And really, plant based diets, I mean, I don't again, I don't want to talk on the science about it too much, but I do know that eating a plant like like the the veggie burgers and whatever, the the processing of those foods in a lot of ways is worse for the environment than eating like responsibly raised animals in, in a lot of ways. Yeah. So I think the mass meat market industry is bad. I will agree with like the, the people who demonize like meats, mm. the, like the big cattle yards and whatever in Texas. Remember when we were driving on route 66 and we oh, go yeah. past the, you can, I bet you can, the smells, you can remember the smells. I've drawn past that farm probably three or four times. Yeah, in my it's life, bad every time driving to California, <laughs> and it's just like so sad every time because yeah. they have the farm on one side, and then either before I can't remember exactly, or it's either before or right after. Within two miles, there's like 
72 ounce sirloin steak. If you can eat yeah. it in under an hour, it's <laughs> the free. Big Texan. Yeah, yeah, the big Texan. Yeah. Come get it. And it's like, oh, f- shit, man. Yeah. It's gross. Yeah. And the cows are just on top of each, like on top of each other. And like, it's in just dirt it, it's, and mud. It's, it's, and... it's a mess. Yeah. yeah. But then when you go to these farms where they're in rolling hills and mm-hmm. the cows are happy and you can pet them and you know what I mean? Like that's a whole different experience yeah. and makes you feel a whole lot different about eating even, even just that when, when we eat beef and pork and chicken, just knowing where it comes from and being able to meet that, yeah. meet the meat. Right. That should and be it, a, more of a slogan, like meat to meat. meat. We'll make yeah. a shirt. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sure. It's about part of our meat the meat line. Yeah. Yeah. That was fun. I hadn't really been able to tell that story. And that was, it was a pretty impactful couple of weeks for sure. With, like I said, with a lot of highs and a lot of lows. And I didn't grow up hunting. So it was like just getting out and, and just doing it. You're forging a new, new uh, leaf in your family tree there at that. Something you'll pass on. Yeah. I want to, and I'm trying to get more people into it. It's like, Let's go. Let's let at least have the experience. I've been back and forth on it my whole life. I grew up with a buddy that was like really hardcore into hunting, uh, Cody, and he always has tried to get me out. And most as re- recently as maybe two years ago, when I listened to that podcast about that guy mm, uh, talking, yeah. I was like, man, I need to do that. And then like I tried a little bit, and like then I would just like fall off it because I was like not who I am. I kind of got I shied away from it really because, like you said, I'm an you're an animal. I'm an animal lover. Yeah, I can't imagine what that might feel like or be like, but maybe at some point in my life I'll come around and settle yeah. down to the fact that uh, it might be a good experience. It's definitely, as someone like you said, I didn't you. I don't think you grew up with a hunting family. I didn't mm-hmm. either. I didn't grow yeah. up around guns. Uh, it was shocking at first. Like uh, I remember the, one of the first times I went out. It was my ex girlfriend at the time. Her grandpa shot a deer. And we walked over and it wasn't dead yet. He had shot it and paralyzed it. And so I watched it die. It was like trying to get up and it was, it was horrible. It was Mm -hmm. straight up horrible. Traumatic. And it was super traumatic. And then I watched him gut it and I'm some city kid. I'm 22 years old. Who's never seen any of this shit before. And I'm like, Oh my God, what did I just witness? So like doing that myself, and doing it right, though, I felt like I'm not going to say they do it wrong. That's that's not my place to say. But doing it yourself brings a little bit more understanding to that process. So, sure. Yeah, yeah. I'll take you hunting anytime you want, buddy. Yeah, I well, appreciate that. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, we're going to wrap it up here. So we'll uh, put a bow on this and we'll be back next week. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks, Bones. Hey, thanks for tuning in to today's episode of the Weekly Warrior Podcast. We hope you found this story, this information, useful, beneficial, entertaining. If you could, man, leave us that five-star rating and review. We'd really appreciate it. We are back every single Sunday with fresh, hot episodes straight out of the oven. So look forward to us next week. And always discover your warrior within. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.